Hello and welcome along to this episode of our podcast. Our guest is Chris Morsley. He's an accomplished entrepreneur and business consultant based in Australia. He has over 20 years of experience in the industry and is the founder and CEO of CMC Global. They're a leading consulting firm that help organizations with strategic planning, marketing, business development, and leadership skill development. Topic today is charismatic leadership. We really dive deep into the subject. We discuss that charisma is a trait that can be learned and that storytelling is the number one weapon of a successful communicator. We also find out how Chris fell in love with bungee jumping while filming a anchor butter ad in Queenstown. Without further ado, let's dive into the conversation. Chris, welcome along to the episode of the podcast today. It's so delight to have you guesting with us. Welcome in. Oh, thank you, Ryan. It's a, a pleasure and an honour. We've been uh, through a bit of a journey to get to this recording, uh, so we're great that we can finally connect. But let's get our audience to know you a little bit better with a few fast fact questions. So let's start off with food. I'm a big foodie. I love it. Let's see where you land. Are you a breakfast or dinner guy? Um, I've turned out to be more probably a breakfast guy because I'm trying this uh, this fasting process, which means sometimes I don't have dinner. That's pretty hard. But I do love my breakfast. Oh yeah, I've heard lots of people fasting and not doing breakfast. Not so many not doing dinner. That's uh, that's tough because it's uh, not only you lose a bit of the uh, straight food element, but also some of the social aspect of dining at night. I imagine as well. Yeah, although not on weekends. So it, what I love about this fasting thing is intermittent. <laughs> and is it is it flexible intermittent? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's unfortunately it's been a little bit too flexible intermittent. <laughs> So I so I suffer for a few days and then I then I no crazy man for the next wake up a lost dog <laughs> good one hey on uh, holiday would we find you bungee jumping or relaxing on the pool lounger oh uh, there's a simple answer is bungee jumping yep and have you done it before have you bungeed yes I've bungeed uh, a number of times in fact I uh, the the my oh, famous or infamous I don't know. I did a, a as an actor. I did a, a an ad in New Zealand for Anchor Butter. It was in in the nineties. It was this this, this uh, actually really good ad campaign, which was a story of this young woman and her her daughter, a single mum, and uh, it was really popular in New Zealand. And uh, the director on this was Lee Tamahori. You know Lee Tamahori, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, amazing director. Once Warriors, just on Once Warriors, I was doing this ad. The actor and I who were you know where I I ask her to marry me. You know in one of one of the episodes, and um, we're shooting it at Queenstown, going up the uh, gondola, and we're gonna we're gonna do the uh, Will you marry me over over candlelit dinner? And we're just actually we're kind of bitching about it because we're saying, God, it's such a boring choice. You know, Lee Tamahori is amazing director, and this boring choice. And and he overhears us. He says, What are you talking about? That that's my uh, New Zealand accent. What are you talking about? Boring. <laughs> And we said, well, you know, we're, it's uh, just a boring choice. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, I was going to have you bungee jumping. <laughs> this is in 1993 when bungee jumping was only you crazy New Zealanders doing it. <laughs> very, very few of them probably. Um, anyway, long story short is we, we I, I said, yeah, I'd do it with all this bravado, thinking uh-huh. you would decide, oh, you know, insurance, we couldn't do it. And we do. So we go to this bridge and I end up jumping off this bridge about 15 times in one day. A backward sort of swan dive off the bridge. <laughs> I started off like couldn't be more scared. 
by the end of it, I, I was the king of the world, of course. That's how you feel at the end of Bungie, isn't it? Outstanding. Good story. Glory, next question. Are we likely to find you in trainers or heels? Well, um, as an actor, I've I've done both because, you know, sometimes you've got to be in drag for, for something. So, you know, I don't know. It was kind of fun in heels for a while, but I, I guess I'm probably a more comfortable shoes kind of guy. No, it wasn't, but it does uh, open up a whole bunch of other questions. It does, and a whole lot of questions. We we won't explore them right now. Um, and I think I know this uh, because as I look at you on screen, Chris, I see a wall of books uh, behind you. Um, so could I take it that you're a physical book rather than an electronic book? Sort of I, I was. I love the smell of books. I mean, I, I love book. I love look books. I love the smell of books. But actually, Kindle's much easier because you can sort of lie down and read at Kindle. And, and I ended up reading a whole lot more now that I've got Kindle. So I think I'm probably king. Nice. Okay. Big question. Cats or dogs? Uh, dogs. Love dogs. And routine-wise, are you an early riser or a night owl? I'm a night owl who's learned, you know, to have to rise early, unfortunately. Some learned behavior. Yep. Yeah. Many of, many of that one. And I know you work across a lot of different uh, time zones. So I imagine there's many days where you're not uh, actually familiar whether it's night or morning. Yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place, and sometimes I'm in countries, and I, I, I woke up once. Uh, I travel four to six months of the year, or I used to before the pandemic, and uh, I, I, I woke up once in a hotel room, and I literally had to, I, I, I was going to the lift, you know, just sort of bleary-eyed, going down to, to breakfast. Um, When I went to the lift, I went, God, where am I? And I looked out the window to, to work out what actual country I was in. And where was that, do you recall? Uh, it was Hong Kong. I was in Hong Kong, and then I realised, oh yeah, that's right. I'm with uh, PwC. I better 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 prepare my what I'm going to do today. Sharpen myself up. <laughs> yeah, better sharpen myself up. Nice. And entertainment? Would we find you watching a thriller or a comedy? Wow, that's a that's a, actually a tough question. I probably thriller, but I like a good comedy. It's just that they're not they don't they don't come up that often. But if you transfer it to life, I think. Uh, I really believe in living a thrilling life. It's really important to live a thrilling life. But if you do that without humor, it's disastrous. I think, uh, you know, a, a day without a laugh is a lost day. Indeed. And let me put a slight tweak on that question because of your acting history. Which genre did you most often act in? Or, or maybe a better question, which did you most enjoy? Very good question. I, I most enjoyed playing the bad guy because I was originally cast as the 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 nice the nicest guy in the world sort of uh young blonde aussie war hero type character and then the second half of my career was all bad guys i think they were trying to they were, they were sort of doing the opposite thing with me and um i loved it i mean playing i don't know whether i should say this but in terms of luck or so but i played macbeth and and that was such a powerful production incredible experience uh, so yeah, but the the usually well often the bad guy has a bit more, bit more depth, just more interesting character to explore. Well, we might be able to explore this a bit further as we talk about leadership and business. And uh, as, a, as a leader, do we need to be always bring the good guy, or is there space for the bad guy in yeah. leadership as well? Wow, good question, good question. <laughs> hey, before we uh, dive uh, specifically into that question, we'd love to hear your top three leadership uh, insights. 
and give us those in some summary form and then we'll dive into them a bit deeper. Okay, I think the the top, in, in all my experience uh, with leaders, I think there are three things that, that I know that are possible that make a really big impact. The first one is charisma. Charisma has a little bit of a bad name, perhaps, uh, you know, in some of the academic fields, but actually charisma is, is, a, is a part of life. And charisma is, is I think, Im- important for leadership because my, my, my definition of charisma is uh, being able to bring people with you behind a vision. That's what charisma is. It, you, you, you couldn't say that all chariz- charismatic people have all the same behaviors. But charismatic behaviors, I think, are critical to really bring a lot of people with you. Uh, the second, so the second one is is character. Character in these days is is so important. Uh, character of the leader, uh, and and um, authenticity and good values are really important aspects of of character that I think make you a, a stronger, more effective leader who who ends up leaving the world a better place than you found it. Uh, oh, the third one. Uh, the third one was. Um, well, all three are really important, but storytelling, being a good storyteller, being able to put people in the picture, being able to describe something complex. It's, it's the best way to make the complex simple and the simple compelling is to actually tell a story. Oh, I like that. The complex, simple and the simple compelling. Well, we're going to unpack that one a bit more. <laughs> That's good. Let's dive a bit deeper on those. The first one, charisma, many people would say that you're born you're born with it or you're not. What's your view on that? Can it be learned? Can it be trained? I was questioning this uh, when I was an actor and I found the answer being a coach, an executive coach and trainer, because uh, over the thousands of people I've, with the thousands of people I've worked with, I've found that charisma is, is not actually a gift. I've worked with so many people who you would say are almost negative charisma who have become charismatic in an authentic way. So much so that pretty much every single time I work with someone, I'm looking to bring out their own personal charisma. So their own awesome dynamics, their, their, their individual dynamics of personality. And, and you, you are much more powerful than you think you are. You know, we kind of play acts. We go to work and we act slightly differently than we do at home. Or, And so we put on all these, these acts almost like a bad actor in a way because they're not full they're just they're just acts so as a coach what i try and do is if i know that what is inside a person is is infinite and i don't mean that in some kind of mystical way you you literally have infinite choices every every single day every step you take every word you say and, and the way you say it you've, you've got an infinite amount of choices in your life and one of those choices is to be charismatic or to let that charisma come out. Look, I can give you so many examples, but just this morning, just before this podcast, I'm working with a new CEO. She is a, she's an Australian. She's working overseas. She's really competent. She's smart. She's highly capable and she's, she's got the job for a reason. I've just started working with her. And what I've found is that she's, I'll get to why in a second, but basically she's formalized her behavior. So she has a certain uh, vocal tone or sort of flatness, which I'll explain in a second. Uh, She doesn't move, doesn't move her hands, doesn't express with her face. And her language is quite formal as well. It's almost like she speaks almost like it's written language. Mm -hmm. And what I've uncovered so far is the reason for that is because she's young and she feels young and she doesn't want to be seen as young. And she wants to be able to sit at the, at the table with anybody and be able to be thought of as credible. But unfortunately, what's happened is that 
the the formalization is actually shrinking her. You know, it's it's as as Nelson Mandela said in his nineteen ninety four inaugural speech uh, that that uh, we play small, but it doesn't actually serve anybody. When when you play smaller than you are, you're not serving anyone. And but the, sometimes the reason why we play small, which is exactly the person I'm talking about, why we play small is because we're afraid of how powerful we can be. Or we're, af- we're afraid of, if we go there in terms of being powerful, will we fail? So we're, we're actually afraid of this power. So we shrink and we play safe. So what this particular person does is she, as I said, she doesn't move much. Someone at some stage has said, you know, stand still, stop waving your hands around because that's better presenting, which is appalling feedback for someone because it's, it literally shrinks them. You know, in life, we use our hands, we express ourselves. So she's got this uh, rising inflection. Now, it, some people say it started in Australia and probably New Zealand as well, but I think it goes way back to the 14th, 15th centuries or something. It's where we talk like that and our voice goes up at the end of the sentence. And so everything, everything we say goes right up to the end of the sentence. It's called up talk or a rising inflection and unfortunately that way of talking it's less powerful you know your power is important and if your voice is always going up at the end it's a it's a weaker sound it tends to indicate questioning doesn't it that's right and it's a repetitive pattern and so we hear this pattern and we actually lose track of what you're saying because in life the way we speak is that every little idea has its own little universe of emotion and expression because you're thinking of each idea at the moment and each one has this different little world of dynamics about it. So when we go to formalize that, we, we actually dumb it down. So it, let's just talk about the rising inflection for a moment. Let's say if we, if we go back to the theater, one of the best productions I ever did was As You Like It and I played uh, Jaquies. Now, Jackie says all the world's a stage and all the men and women many players, they have their exits and their entrance. Very, fam- very famous uh, speech. Now, the speech is written in iambic pentameter. I, I don't want to get too deep here, but <laughs> iambic pentameter is basically five strong beats, five weak beats, and so it's 10 beats in the line, and it's about as long as a normal phrase that you would speak. It's da-dum-de-dum-de-dum-de-dum-de-dum. How are you going? I hope you're feeling well today. It's like a good phrase. I'm going to say the lines without emphasis. All the world's a stage, all the men and women really players. They have their exits and their entrances, and each man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. That sounds fast, right? And you're not really getting it. Now, if I emphasize a strong emphasis on the last word of each line, it becomes a whole lot clearer. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women really players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. You can hear the emphasis on the end, and there's this little micro pause, and so it gives time people t- time to think. I'm not speaking any slower, I'm literally just pausing more. Now, if I add a rising inflection, I say, all the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely plays. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, and uh, you know, it's just, this guy is so conf- much less compelling. Yeah. yeah. And Jaquies is a very confident person with huge gravitas. So when I go back to my CEO today, what we did is we took a speech by Erin Brockovich. Erin Brockovich is a really good example for her because Erin Brockovich is a woman who completely expresses herself in an incredibly powerful way. And she's young and she faces up to all the old guys in the, in the boardroom yeah. and she wins. Yeah. Right? So she's this is not a, trained in corporate or anything. And, yeah. No, she's not trained in corporate. She's a powerful human being. And we underlined the key words that needed downbeat emphasis as opposed to an emphasis like that. So we chose those words. 
And this is a complex thing, the voice, but what I'm trying to find as a coach is a trigger. I'm not just going to work on emphasis and all the different aspects. We're working from the inside out. One is uh, this CEO needs to make her own decisions about being expressive, talk to herself positively, say, I'm, I deserve to be here and all this sort of thing. Um, but then the outside is is practicing or breaking these habits. The rising inflection is simply a habit. And sometimes you've actually got to really break a habit. It's it's so motor automatic that, that unless you're actually concentrating on breaking it, it's going to be really difficult to change. So we did the Aaron Brockovich piece and filled those key words with powerful emotion. It's startlingly different. But what you've got to do as a coach is you've got to find that's not the way of doing it. It's just a trigger to open other things. So it starts starts with awareness because you can't improve or change or develop until you've got awareness. So uh, having someone that maybe helps you come to that awareness as you're helping the CEO is uh, is the first bit. And then a willingness to, to grow and develop, which is always uncomfortable because whenever yeah. we're trying to learn something new, it's not in habit any longer and we're in unconscious incompetence and it's really really hard work so the willingness to do the to do the work and then having some expert guidance to uh, step you through it so as a coach you've got to find triggers rather than say okay here's all the things you need to do stand still stop doing this stop doing that stop saying ums and ums it's so much more complex than that if we just take voice for example what are the different aspects of your voice people talk about vocal tone and maybe pitch modulation but actually there's at least nine different aspects to your voice there's Mm. power tone range articulation emphasis Mm. pace pause rhythm energy and all those can work in infinite ways who are we to dumb it down because what you want is her to find this trigger and it opens a whole lot of other specific positive behaviors that come with it so coming back to our kind of yeah absolutely coming back to our original question can you learn charisma uh, just in that one very small example, when you did that uh, speech with uh, uh, no emphasis, no pause, versus when you did, uh, you could absolutely see how uh, exhibit A, no emphasis, no pause, someone goes, oh, that person, like, oh, dull, I didn't really connect with their message, you know, no charisma, that person. And then just that small change, and as you said, one of the nine, nine types of uh, voice element you can work on. But just a small change, you could easily see how someone could work away going, oh, that person's got some good natural charisma. Yeah, that's right. And, it, and yeah. look, it starts with things like that. But ultimately, awesome. what you're aiming for is this incredibly diverse and uh, beautiful, unique expression of that individual human. And that, plus our next idea, will create a, you as a charismatic person. Let me ask you this, Chris, because I think this is a challenge for many people when they're thinking about, you talked of uh, charisma is how they bring people along with a vision behind you. Yes. Now, if you are saving the planet or breaking the barriers of science or you know something that we might perceive to be glamorous or amazing accomplishments for the world... And you say, yeah, I can get in behind that vision. How do you work with people that maybe their organization is fundamentally selling widgets and they're a CEO and it's a little harder to connect an audience to the purpose of that of that business, which is, you know, we're all trying to do good. We're trying to make make a living. We're trying to employ our organization, and but fundamentally we're selling widgets. How would you look to connect someone so that they can bring charisma to that still? 
even though maybe there's not the really super easy natural connection to a powerful vision? Yeah, this is a really insightful question that you're asking me because it's it's so key to charisma and the lasting impact that leaders make. One thing I've learned over all this time is that we can work on all these behaviors and we can help someone become, you know, you know, more dynamic in their behaviors. But ultimately, the really great leaders and great communicators have something more. And what I've found is it's purpose. It's purpose in life. When you have that strong sense of personal purpose, you come to life. You can't help it because you've got to achieve it. You're working every day to fulfill the meaning in your life. Now, the next thing is you sell widgets. How do you connect the two? This is this is actually a very real problem. Let me give you an exact example of this. So I'm working with a, a CEO. She's been a successful CEO for a, for a couple of years with this very, very high profile company. Uh, she's in the media. It's not always positive. She's constantly in the media and I'm, I'm her coach and communication uh, advisor and um, helping her get the message out there. She calls me one day and she says, Chris, I need a personal brand. <laughs> and, and I said, uh, well, first of all, there's nothing personal about a brand. <laughs> uh, look, that's just what I believe. I'm a bit pedantic about that. But I, I thought, where is this coming from? What, why is she saying she needs a brand? And then, and then I said, so, okay, let's forget about my cynical comment. I take what you're saying. You need a personal brand. But why is that? What, what, what's missing? And she says, I feel like um, I want to stand for something. And what had been happening is that she was the mouthpiece for a very large US organization in a country. And all that she talked about night and day is that brand, the marketing. So she's kind of become the organizational brand. Yes. Uh, and so, of course, conversely, she's lost herself, her own identity. So what I suggested was that instead of you know manufacturing some kind of brand that you sell on social media, Let's find you first. Let's uh, uncover where your energy is. And we, we ended up calling this uh, because we went around then working with other, other leaders, believe it or not, me and the CEO. Um, we ended up calling this energy of the leader. So what we did was we sat down and we worked out where is her energy in life? What are the things, big and small, all the many, many things, big and small, that she loves about life that make life worth living? And we write all those things down and then we get, we put them into groups. And eventually we do. We find four particular aspects to, to her energy. Then we say, okay, here, here's what your life is all about. It's all about this. This is what gets your blood running. Right? This is what gets you excited. This is you. This is what you love in life. It's there for you. So somewhere in there is your purpose. So purpose is something that you don't make up, you uncover. You find out what you've been doing all this time. You haven't been doing it particularly well because you haven't been really conscious of it. Sometimes you fail, sometimes you succeed. Are you able to give us some uh, examples of what those kind of four areas were? One was just get it done. That's it, get it done. Okay. Another one was uh, her big concern about cancer, something that her mother suffered. Another one was, was ocean swimming she loved. And so these things you could you could say like ocean swimming is about competitiveness. It's about freedom. It's about uh, being a, being a bit rebellious and going out there into the dangerous sea. And so, so you can look at all the different. Elements. Yeah, I like it. I like um, it. So we we take these themes and we go, okay, what do they mean in a bigger picture? How do they mean to you in different circumstances? If we, we change the circumstances of these the, these four values, and we decided that she would only talk if she could talk via those subjects, one or all of those subjects. 
So the PR agency, of course, was like, what? You can't do that. What if you what if you get something different? She said, no, too bad. I'm going to only talk about the subject. Now, the other, other thing we did with those subjects was we said, okay, let's look at the values of the organization and let's find similar values in, this, in the organization, powerful, similar values. And they're there. I mean, most of these big organizations have you know, they might sound like lip service, these these values, and you might not relate to them. But you can relate to them because they're basic values. They're basic values that we all know. So if you connect your energy with the values of your organization, you're not selling yourself out. Then what happens is when you speak via your values, which are also your connected values into the organization, the power relationship between you and your organization flips on its head. And instead of you being the mouthpiece of the organization, the organization is the platform for you to achieve your purpose in life. Yeah, I really like, Osiris, how you drew that example of the ocean swimming and the, you know, the danger element or the challenge element of going out into the, the big wide ocean. And you can certainly see, even as a seller of widgets, I might be able to go, hey, we haven't conquered this market over here. Maybe that be a being geography or an industry or a vertical. And suddenly I can feel passion and purpose about pursuing that because I understand that this is part of what feeds me, which is the challenge of going somewhere uncharted and yeah. going. I love how you connected that. That was really cool. You are infinite. That's what we've always got to remember. There is so much to you, so much potential. And we don't have to be mysterious to, to accept that idea. Uh, so you can find that organization or its values in you It's and, and without compromising you. And this is a, the tough thing to get your head around. To me, the real driving force behind it is that we ended up working out what her social impact was going to be. So you think social or environmental impact, and there's actually lots of research on this. When, when a leader has a, a strong sense of purpose and, and how they're going to impact positively the environment or social uh, or the social environment. They are more charismatic, they're more powerful, they're more effective there. You know, you know the, the list goes on. And so there's something in us as humans that says, I want to make a good impact on the world around me. I want to leave the world a better place than I found it. I want my kids to be improvements on me. I would go so far as to say, if you're a leader and you don't leave the world better than you found it, then you should die in shame. I know that's a tough thing to say, but you know, it's, isn't that what leadership should be in, in life? We should be improving the world. And when you have that type of sense of, I mean, it's almost a little bit of righteousness, but you have that type of sense that I can make a difference. It may be a small difference, but I'm going to make a difference. The, the energy that brings you. So by the way, this CEO went from losing her identity, getting depressed, losing her ability to lead as powerfully as she wanted to, to then having the best year she'd ever had having attrition rate going from 52% down to 8%, profits increasing, the team enjoying being there more, it, the whole thing changed for the better. <laughs> it was it was pretty extraordinary experience. And I, I actually think of it as a learning experience for both of us. Indeed. And you've, you've kind of answered this question, Chris, but I was interested when you were saying, you know, your second leadership insight, bringing character, being authentic, you know, is... Uh, wondering as we act, as you as you refer to it as these um, different modes that we operate in, can we be authentic if we're acting? And I think what you've uh, managed to draw the conclusion for me is that 
you have to find your personal purpose in what you're going to do. So then it's not it's not acting and being disingenuous when you're acting. It's maybe bringing those things to the forefront and using the yeah, the skills of acting to to promote them and be louder and be more charismatic with those those things. But it's got to have that connection to the values, which I think is the piece you identified earlier. Have I kind of interpreted that correctly? You have. There's another benefit to it. So if you if you think of your organization, I don't mean this in a selfish way in that you're just using the organization. You're, you're kind of in a partnership with the organization. So if you think of the organization as the platform, your platform to achieve your purpose in life, which is which is having some sense of social responsibility. So use it as a platform to achieve what you're going to achieve. Then the decisions about where you go next are much easier to make. The big decisions. Most people are thinking role. I, I want to be a such and such role. And so I want to I want to get that role. And you get myopic about getting the role as if the role has some intrinsic power to it. But there's always another role. So you end up, when you have a strong sense of purpose, the roles become obvious. They might not even be the next role up. It might be across. It might be somewhere else in another industry. But the, whatever your next role will be, with the one is that will be the role that helps you achieve your purpose even more. And if that's the criteria for choosing your career trajectory, it's going to be a much more powerful one, a much more sustainable one, and one that will, you know, in the end, be more fun. Totally. We all spend uh, the majority of our waking hours at work across our across our lifetime. Um, so to do something that we feel connected with and and purpose around, and again coming back to the. I love how you've allowed us to understand that purpose doesn't have to be saving the planet. Great if it is, absolutely. Yeah. You can still find purpose in selling the widget based on how it aligns with who you are personally, what you're trying to achieve, and you can you can leave the the world a better place even if you are selling selling widgets. And I and I'm not being derogatory when I'm saying mm-hmm. even selling widgets. Okay. Mm-hmm. The number one weapon, storytelling. So take us on a journey. I love the example you shared earlier. Tell us about hopefully another leader that you've connected with who didn't understand the power of storytelling and how you went about helping them understand what was possible and then learning the the skill and then what it meant for them. Storytelling is the most powerful form of communication people have to connect with each other. Not only to connect, but to learn, to educate others, and to be inspired, to change. Storytelling, the journey of storytelling is a change process. You know, when you just talk the facts and you talk your business and you talk about the benefits of what you do and et cetera, um, people don't necessarily see it. They don't feel it. So I, I work a lot in IT and it's important that when you've got a complex IT message, that you put people in the picture. If you can put people in the picture by using examples and telling stories, that suddenly the IT comes to life for them. They see themselves um, getting benefit from it. So storytelling affects, it's a beautiful thing. It's a natural thing and it affects the way people think and feel. Not only that, I think storytelling is the number one weapon, not just for you to articulate, but, but for organizations to build stories or to nurture stories within their organization is such a powerful thing. Well, I worked with a particular leader, and he was working in OPSM, uh, you know, selling glasses as a manager. Five years later, he was the global CEO of Luxottica, what? biggest eyewear company in the mm-hmm. world. <laughs> yeah. So I experienced that journey with him. He went from being this quiet guy who you could hardly hear at the other end of the boardroom table to being, you know, very charismatic guy. Much the reason for that was not necessarily his coach, but also his determination. And he brings me in and and I chat with him and the, the CEO of uh, Sunglass Hut. Sunglass Hut had been bought a while ago by 
a couple of years before by Luxottica. It's a fantastic brand and it was made even stronger through being owned by Luxottica. Then they bought Budget Eyewear and Sunglass Hut culturally started to lose it. The organization literally started to get depressed. And the reason why was because in any mall, you had Sunglass Hut and you had Budget Eyewear down the, down the road. And, and just not far away. They're in competition with an organization that's owned by the same big company. The organization itself had it's kind of lost its identity. They were demotivated. And so their sense of who they are became less. And, and when you're an individual in an organization, you want to be part. You want to feel like you belong to something good, something cool, something fun, something, something that's worthwhile in your life because you spent a lot of time there, right? So there was what happened. And this is what we identified in this meeting was a lack of belonging. We no longer belong to a brand we thought we, we, we had. And so I'd spent years working with stories and getting people to tell stories in organizations and found there was a huge impact on storytelling because it actually did connect people. So what I suggested was that we, that we actually take a bit of a risk here and that we don't do the normal conference with the PowerPoint slides and all the presentations on how we, you know, where we're going, where we've been so far, how we're going to get there, blah, 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 blah. And that we drop that. And that we have one, one speech in the beginning, which I helped write for the, the CEO. And then we just tell stories. So what we did then was we gradually worked up to it. Before the conference, we went all around all the stores. Everybody in the store, everybody from the manager to everyone around, just telling personal stories. No agenda at all. Tell us a personal story. And my goodness, the stories we heard were amazing. It's amazing. When you hear someone's story, it changes everything. You might not like someone, then you hear their story and you go, okay, I'll forgive you. <laughs> so there's this, there's this story all over the country in all these stores. And we, we get them to choose 10 stories. The whole conference was individuals, not necessarily store, store managers. So we had a few hundred people in the room. And we had 10 stories and that's all we did all day. No agenda, no drive to make things better or to pick up our sales, nothing, just stories. We heard stories of someone who'd lost their mum to cancer. We heard a story to, of someone who was actually an Olympian and no one knew about it. We heard stories that were not so grand, but were still moving. 10 beautiful, incredibly deep and interesting stories. At the beginning of that day, they walked, 300 individuals walked in the room. At the end of that day, what walked out of that room was a unified force. And if you spoke to either of those leaders, they would say it was a turning point for Sunglass Hut. It's, it's, it was the beginning of the resurgence of this incredible brand. It's very clear it all came down to, the, down to storytelling. Great example. And I'm interested, Chris, how much did you work with each of those individuals that were going to do their story and help them kind of craft how they would deliver their story? I did. The normal storytelling that you learn at school is the beginning, middle and end. And, and that doesn't tell you how compelling a story is. And a story is, is more than just the narrative. A story is an emotional journey. But I didn't say, here's how you need to tell your story. I'm going to PR it. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm going to rewrite your story and make it sound, woo, this works. I, I got to each individual and, and I asked particular questions um, that led them to create the emotional journey. Because the story is, uh, is there, but sometimes you've got to find the power of that story in order to make it more effective. People often just tell this chronological, this happened and then that happened and then this happened and it's not. It's not that exciting. One of the things I would say to them is I'd say, okay, let's forget the story for the moment. In this story, just remember one moment. What's a moment? And, and take some post-it notes, write down, and write down three moments. I think I got them to write down three moments. 
said, I want you to just, you know, forget about meaning, forget about what these memories mean. All I want you to do is what are those little memories that follow you around and uh, that you just can't get out of your head? And it's not a story, it's just a moment. And so they write down these moments and what you get is awesome. You don't get someone telling a chronological story. You get someone saying, after visiting my mum, I walk out of the hospital and I realize it's autumn. And I look at the trees and I think how beautiful it is. These leaves falling down in front of me. And I think what a beautiful world, how lucky we are to be here. And it just just like a moment like that. And then when you build moments like that into your story. So there's the narrative, which imagine that's, that's a line gradually going along in the story. Then there's this zoom in, this deep dive, where you zoom in and you paint a picture, a moment. And sometimes that moment has far more meaning than than the narrative. In fact, it often has far more meaning and it, and it takes us there. Psychologically, when you enter into the picture, you see the picture just as clearly as they do. But in neuroscience, it's, it's, it's um, called entrainment. You, you actually connect with this person in a shared image. I mean, one, one of the images I remember when I was working with the uh, National Breast Cancer Foundation, I did the same thing, National Breast Cancer Foundation. I was a founder of a, the Speakers Bureau there. And uh, one lady, she said, I was asleep. I'd been having chemo. I was, you know, I was in my room in the hospital and I woke up and there were lights, little fairy lights everywhere, sparkling things. My, my whole room was filled with sparkling things. And she said, she, she, you know, she burst into tears. And we're thinking, what, why? Her friend who knew her better than anybody else knew that she loved sparkly things. And so while she was asleep, her friend went in there and filled the room with anything sparkly she could get. So cool. These moments are what make stories awesome. So in a world filled with uh, Slack channels and <laughs> Teams chat and WhatsApp and all these other things that we uh, utilize, which have, have their place, uh, can really help efficiency, et cetera. How as leaders do we make sure that we continue to tell stories because you can't tell a story in a Slack channel? No, you can't. Um, you can tell a story over video. You can tell a story face to face. But one is that when you tell a personal story and it's something that's, it's not like I'm a hero story. It's like just a personal story. Maybe a failure can be more powerful than you being a hero. In fact, because stories teach us how fragile we are. To stories uh, teach us that we are all, we're all vulnerable, that, that we can all fail. Because it, a story without a sort of failure in it or difficulty or struggling is not really a story. So a story will actually bring out vulnerability and failure. And they, this is the very thing that connects with people. People don't connect with you being a hero or being perfect. They connect with your they connect with your your vulnerabilities and your failings as a person. And they say, wow, look what Ryan's done. Look what Ryan's achieved in his life. But actually, when you talk to him, I feel like he's just like me. Maybe I could be like him. You know, and it's the same thing with the, with the power that I was talking about. When you embrace who you are and your power, what happens is you give other people people permission to be the same and so stories have this incredible connection if so this if you tell a story if you uncover someone's story so you sit down with someone and you you just listen without judgment without advice and this is really important you don't give advice and judgment after you hear the story you know without judgment without advice just listen to the story and say what happened next what happened next maybe drill down and say how did you feel about that tell me more about that situation and they drill down and they start painting the autumn leaves or the sparkles and then you have this incredible experience with that person. Now, when that person divulges something to, to you that they might not have divulged to anybody else or, or someone they've only divulged to people who are close to them, but they've divulged it to you and you're almost a stranger or you're just a work colleague, 
they have entrusted you with their failure, their sadness, their their vulnerability. So they will automatically feel closer to you. And the next time you see them, they're more likely to want to be around you. So on so many levels, storytelling is the thing that binds us all. It can inspire people. It can motivate people. It can educate. But the most important thing is it can it connects and and as a leader so this is almost a, a summary of a sort of leadership communication in a way is that there are, there are three things that great leaders do great communicators do they command attention they connect with people and they compel they're able to compel people into action command connect compel command is that you you command the space you're in the, this this great leader they they command their space so like literally their physical space they look comfortable in the boardroom they look comfortable on stage they look comfortable speaking with you in the corridor and they look the same <laughs> they're the same person they're the same expressive warm authentic person uh secondly they command their knowledge space they are very well read people They've broadened their horizons they they know about the bigger trends they understand you as well so they they've they've got a broad knowledge base. So that's they command of that. The next thing is is connect. Is they connect with you in in simple ways by just speaking your language. Like they'll relinquish their jargon and they'll use yours. They'll talk in your language so that you can can understand it. The said, but the second, perhaps the most important thing is that they they can tap into your emotional. So they can manage mood in themselves and others. The final one, compel, is this sort of next step up, really, I guess, which is where you put together an argument that has really good evidence and a really logical argument. Being able to be compelling, you need to be compelling in your narrative. But the second part of compel is understanding where people are at emotionally and then being able to take them to that place that you need them to be to perform at their best. That's a process of being compelling and helping them be compelling. Those three things are, are clearly what great leaders are capable of doing, but Number one is connect. And this is why storytelling is so powerful. Because if you're not connecting, the other two just don't matter. It doesn't matter how compelling you are, no matter what argument you bring, if you're not compelling with the person opposite, nothing changes. So true. Such great, great insights, Chris. And you, and you reminded me or made me reflect on all of the different speakers I've seen. And I've seen a lot. And yeah. in our business, we've uh, had many, many, many speakers come and speak to our audiences, etc. And when I reflect on the one that most stands out in my mind, it was a actually a client, a former client of ours. He wasn't officially trained as a speaker. He was his authentic self and he talked about his journey, really a journey of self-discovery, which pinnacle moment came. He happened to go to the Amazon jungle and do an ayahuasca ceremony. Wow. And the bit that stands out for me was not not what happened in the ceremony itself, but just what it made him think about and things that had shaped his his life and uh, relationships that he'd had with his family members, etc. And it was just, it was incredibly emotional uh, for him. But for me, it was, it was yeah, very emotional. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, speak at the, at the end of it. It was, it, it uh, brought such emotion. And I think exactly as you as you're saying here that that storytelling, if it's coming from an authentic place, it's not about being the world's most professionally trained speaker and making sure you land all nine elements of voice control. Not saying that those things aren't useful, mm. but the authenticity that you bring uh, in storytelling. And because he was being very authentic in himself, it came across with charisma. And like this is a guy that's a 
an engineer, right? That's the, he's an electrical engineer. So not not typically a uh, career you associate with people yeah. that are full of full of charisma and dynamism. Uh, but that that really stands out in my mind of all the people I've seen present his story is the one that really resonates for those exact reasons that you've been talking to. Yep. Absolutely. And look, you know, as well as, as I do, you transform organizations. You know, you, you go in there and they have a vision and you help them achieve that vision. That's what, that's what you do. And I can, I, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that, that it's personal, right? When you, when you get in there and you're working with people and uh, you help them in probably in the similar way to, to what I'm saying, help them find the real reason for them to embrace it, right? Directly, our, our purpose of the breakthrough is to create more human workplaces. Yeah, awesome. I mean, you, you and I, Ryan, we could we could chat all day about this. Yeah, we could. We could. Um, it's, so finding finding and connecting to our purposes uh, is you know, is easy because we we literally see their transformation and the uh, the stories that light us up are not how much better someone's um, business relationships are going or their managerial capability or anything. It's when they go, hey, Ryan, stuff I've been learning is amazing. I've been using it in my personal life. And now my personal relationships with my spouse are going better and with my kids is going better. And I've been helping out at the local, you know, sports club or, you know, arts, uh, whatever. And that's such you know, a those, good outcome. Those are the things that you go, oh, wow, this is this is cool. This yeah. Is really cool. We talk about work-life balance, don't we? As if they're, they're two things you have to balance, but they're, they're, they're two separate things. I, I talk about work-life purpose. Yes, love it. it should be the same thing. You're delivering, you're delivering on your purpose in life at at home and and at work. Um, it's you. It's who you are. And and why should there be some sort of strange dividing line between the two? Indeed. Yeah. Hey, Chris, that has been a absolute pleasure. A, a journey through top three leadership insights with such great examples. Uh, things that I think are really applicable that people could take some action on straight away. Um, thank you for joining us and thank you for sharing. Uh, if people do want to connect with you directly, Chris, how's the best place for them or best way to do that? Okay, so I have a website. It's it's actually cmcglobal.com.au because there is a CMC Global, another one. So you've got to get the AU. Um, that You'll find my website. It's uh, quite a personalized website, me as an executive coach. Uh, so... Uh, that's a good place to start. The other one is actually a really good one is LinkedIn. You can actually even message me on LinkedIn. So to find me on LinkedIn, definitely join me on LinkedIn. And if you have any questions, I'm totally happy to to talk with you. So so message me if you can. I also do three little videos a week. Instagram, Chris Morsley, exec coach on Instagram. Thanks, Chris. And we'll make sure we put those in the show notes so people can access them nice and easily. Hey, thanks, Chris. It's been a uh, pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the conversation today. Ryan, thank you. It's such a pleasure. And as I said, it truly is an honor to be here on this program. Thanks, Chris. 